Hello and welcome to a Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Danziel. Chris, first game back, never a doubt. Never a doubt. Cardiac cast. I forgot what the feeling's like. But hey, you know what? They made it. On to the next one. There are a lot of salty Seton Hall fans, but it's not our problem. Held on for the win. Never a doubt. Attitude. 76-74. Nova's still good. Yeah, man, one month layoff, come out here, hit every shot and own the man. But then, of course, Seton Hall's hitting every shot and own the man. But it, it's just, you know, it was just good to see them back out there and uh, light up the scoreboard, play a little bit defense at the end, get a little bit of help from the refs, obviously. I guess the check cleared in the middle of the second half. Good, good to see the Cats back out there and uh, winning a tough game, especially against our, our hated rivals. Well, look, I know Seton Hall fans were a little salty. The post-game reactions weren't friendly, at, weren't friendly at all, honestly. It looks like there's a lot of instigating going on. But you know what? Middle of January, first game back. Like I said, Chris, going in, win or loss, I, I would have taken it to the chin. I definitely would have been kind of sad because it got a little dramatic there at the end. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's a January game. I understand. So, you know, all fans, you know, this is a Super Bowl, National Championship, Big East Tournament. <laughs> it's everything all in one. The, you know, it's like the Grand Salami. So, I get it. You know, they're upset. But at the end of the day, we're still standing tall. Still got that win streak going. A little bit long of a break. But I was just glad that the Cats are back. Opening up with a win was a nice thing. Winning it in dramatic fashion, even better. Yeah. Some old points of the rest, but uh, you know, others might say, "Good thing Mamu's not a wide receiver because uh, those butterfingers would have costed him uh, a couple checks." Uh, yeah. Oh, he could have made the receiver for the, the Jets. Probably, he, he probably wouldn't have been top end. For he would have had it too if he caught that ball. Oh yeah, no, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, that was 100%. like, I was watching the game with my brother, and I was like. If, uh, what would you have done if you're Jermaine Samuels there? Do you just just shove him to the ground and hope that he misses both free throws, or you just let him go and try and you know, yeah, try and create your own shot on the other end? That was that was a, a wild, wild ending. But you know, Eugene, to your point that you were saying before, you know, I went into this game thinking, you know, it's a January game. It's like, you know, even though it's Seton Hall, it's a January game. This team has played in months. Take you take what you can get. Whoever looks good looks good. Whoever looks bad looks bad. You're not going to take too much stake into it. And if they lose, so be it, right? And then the game develops and it's <laughs> happening the way it's happening. And it's like, yeah, you know what? No, we got to beat these guys. And, you know, Jared Roden's not missing anything. He's, you know, taking a, a page out of the Miles Powell book. And Miles Kale thinks he's Miles Powell. And Mamu thinks he's, uh, you know, the next big thing in NCAA Player of the Year. And it's like, oh, wow, these guys think they're real tough, don't they? Time to uh, – we, we got to make them uh, sad. And then it was developing that way, and then they, they choked a little bit at the end. And then thankfully, uh, like you said, Mamu uh, forgot how to catch a ball. <laughs> yeah, that's that uh, pretty much yeah, it. It came down to that call. I mean, a little bit of a bailout, but – No, it's not a bailout. I don't okay, care anymore. Like, Villano has been screwed so many times <laughs> in the past. You take what you can get. You take what you can get. On fouls 90 feet away from the basket, I, I don't care. Like, I've, I've always been told, oh, cry about it, cry about it. You know what I'm going to say? Cry about it. Cry about Seton Hall. Yeah, they, right. they always think that it's like some big conspiracy that the Big East is, like, there to prop up Villanova or whatever. And it's like, dude, I don't think the Big East is going to make Villanova win a January game, like, uh, like on purpose. Like, just shut up. Just, it's such a joke. They're, they think, like, everything's out to – they think the whole world's out to get them. It's like you're Seton Hall. 
Let, let's let's calm down. Calm down. <laughs> it's all retribution for Josh Hart getting obliterated under the basket when he should have been fouled in the 2016 Big East Tournament Finals. But hey, you know, <laughs> can't, can't cry about that. Yeah, like you said, Chris, we were told to cry about it then. Senior year, I was sad. Oh yeah. Oh, Eugene, great point. I didn't even think. I don't. I don't even remember that. I didn't. I even thought that's what that. you were going for. I mean, I no, know, no, no, I, no, no. I know there no. were plenty of instances though over the last like 15 years of the, the, <laughs> shadow. <laughs> yeah, shadow calls, phantom travels, things that things like that, um, out of bounds. Yeah. No. Yeah. The the yeah between the phantom travel and the uh, the one against Georgetown in like 08, and like Stokes like had like a moving. Uh, foul like with point one seconds away from, <laughs> like on the other side of the court against Georgetown and I'm just like after that I just like I've never you know forgiven refs for that but yeah no that's a good point like Josh Hart was fouled so why are we and we completely forgot about it. everyone's gonna get over it in like a day anyway so they should just calm down it's hard to do that though Chris when it's a national championship biggest tournament and everything <laughs> Rose Bowl, even. I don't even know. Right. They don't, they, I don't even think they have football over there. Rose Bowl, we'll throw in that. Right, right. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Regarding the controversy, though, like, like, even though there was the clear and obvious foul, the Swire makes one of two. Of course, he couldn't make both just to make it secure. <laughs> and of course, he had to miss the first it. one. Yeah, of course, yeah. he had to miss the first one. But on top of that, they added, like, a full extra second back for, like, no reason whatsoever. Like, I knew they had that time back. I didn't think it was going to be a full second. Then Seton Hall does the inbounds pass, and Mamu with a clear-as-day push-off on two people. No one talked about that, though. They should if, – if Mamu ends up catching that ball and making a dunk, we're probably the ones crying about a push-off there. So it could have gone both ways. But then the ball goes through his hands, and he blows it anyway. But then the, Villanova gets the ball back. Get, JRE goes to the line after getting fouled, they add more time again after letting the clock run to like three or four tenths of a second. He, of course, only makes one of two. So now they can hit a three and win it. And then they actually got a clean shot. Yeah, that look was not that bad. It was short, but it was a lot more space than I thought it would have been. Yeah, it was a very good look for not a lot of time. And considering, you know, you had everybody back there. And but thankfully, I think I forget who's covering. I think it was Jerry. Yeah, it was Jerry. Yeah, he just so tall and. A a good I've always been a proponent of covering the inbound guy in a situation like that. I don't know about you, but like, I mean, I'm not going to question Jay Wright on that, but like maybe next time, just like be like, Hey, pressure the quarterback a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Just, just some help to prevent that from happening <laughs> again. Blow air into his face, make him uncomfortable. I'll tie his shoelaces, pull a JR Smith <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> Pretend to moon him. I don't know. Like just do something. <laughs> With that game, Villanova improves to nine and one overall, four and zero in Big East play, seventy six to seventy four final, down to the wire. Villanova had an eight point lead with about two minutes or so left, and that's when I started to feel comfortable. But then when you saw Seen Hall rumble back, you knew that we were in for a wild finish. Definitely got a wild finish. Wildcats went scoreless over the last three and a half minutes, but it didn't matter. They were able to make some free throws, enough for separation, not as much as we would have liked. Could have iced the game. But just enough to get some separation. Took advantage of some mistakes from Seton Hall. You had a big game from Colin Gillespie going 6 of 10 overall in route to a 22-point finish. Jermaine Samuels coming off the bench. He was one of the two players that had tested positive for COVID, but this man was not slowing down. He was on a mission. 20 points, 7 of 4, 11 on the floor. Perfect 3 for 3 from deep. He also had 9 boards 
and then assists. Great game from him. Justin Moore also had 10 points. And then on the Seton Hall side, you had Sanjay Mamakelashvili, unsurprisingly, leading the way. Solid all-around game, 23 points, 9 boards, 5 assists. Jared Roden. Chris, I knew we talked about this guy and how he was having a great year, but his first half, I was like, okay, yeah. you know, I knew he was good. Come on. <laughs> so, someone stop him or something. I think they eventually figured it out towards the latter half of the first half or like maybe even like within the last two minutes. I think the announcers made it like, oh, yeah, they're not going to let him do it again. And then like Roden actually started hacking up shots to like the benefit of Villanova where it was like kind of heat checking himself a little bit. Uh, but so, like, I guess the hot start kind of eventually did him in. But, yeah, at the start of the game, it was very, very frustrating to see him knock down everything in sight. Second half, he was pretty much a non-factor. He had 17 of his 19 points in the opening half alone. And you had Miles Kale and Shavar Reynolds chipping in 11 points each. Chris, any other takeaways from this game? I, I know we, we had to dive straight into the finish there because it was just such a, a wild game, wild ending. Mm-hmm. It had me on the edge of my seat. I didn't even care about the late start anymore. I was energized. I didn't go to sleep until 2.30 in the morning that mm-hmm. night just because I was so hyped up on the win and just to see the Cats back again. Might have been a different story if we lost, but ultimately, hanging in there, I liked it. Anything else you want to touch on? Yeah, I kind of want to touch upon the thing we were most fearful of going into this game, and that was the rust. And to be honest with you, offensively, rust-wise, didn't look like there was much initially. I mean, they, they seemed to be going shot for shot with Seton Hall. Defensively, though, there was a little bit of rust. It seemed like a lot of, a lot of open shots were allowed. <laughs> Some guys particularly, specifically JRE, defensively, I think struggled a little bit. I mean, I know he had a tough task with Mamu or whatnot, but it seemed like he was more... Uh, uncertain as to whether to switch or to go after some guys. And as a result, Seton Hall was able to free up some shots from the perimeter. But, you know, I, I wasn't – it didn't – they didn't look rusty They at all. Like, they only turned the ball over nine times, which I still feel like, you know, maybe a little bit high for them, but it's not egregious whatsoever. And I think the turnover, that number is a little bit higher than stated because of the charges that they had at the end of the game where they were – there was like three straight possessions where they were calling charges. Charges. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Let's not talk about the flopping though. Can, uh, on Seton Hall. Uh, now, truth be told, there was like there, yeah, there I'll was give, a couple. Yeah, I'll give them there was a couple the, uh, Yeah, I think there. it was uh, Justin Moore stiff armed that one guy, and I was like, oh, they're gonna call that every time. But then, oh, yeah. the time after that, when I think it was Reynolds just fell to the just collapse, I was like, all right, come on, you can't do that. And then there's twice in a row, and I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I think Colin was driving. One. Yeah, they cut to Jay's reaction. I was like, yeah, I'm with Jay on that one. Ridiculous. Yeah, Jay, Jay said he was sliding his feet. And I was like, yeah, he was sliding his feet. That was ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, Colin had a great start, kind of faded towards the end of the game. But, you know, he he basically kept Villanova in it initially when Roden was hitting everything. And also, at the end of the game, Gillespie had that big three to at least try and take the lead, ended up breaking it. I wasn't a big fan of that play. I wasn't a big fan of that shot. Considering the time, I thought if you were going to take a shot like that, do it earlier in the game. That way you could have at least guaranteed yourself the ball back with enough time to work. But then, you know, what happened, then the controversy happened. Individually, like I said, Gillespie played great. Jermaine obviously was great off the bench. At least, I mean, we were discussing this pre-show, Eugene, but it kind of felt like Samuels and Daniels were, you know, off the bench because of the COVID reason. And it seemed that, you know, Jermaine was just playing so well, they couldn't take him out. And I don't blame him whatsoever. Daniels in very limited action didn't do anything, I feel like. But he had a couple of key offensive rebounds, including one with Swider on, in the same possession where they were able to, I think Daniels got an initial re- offensive rebound and Swider got the next one. And then I forgot who hit the three, but it, someone hit a three there. And it was a big possession. So I was pretty happy with that, all things considered. 
And Brandon Slater and Swider, like, they both played two solid games, I got to say. Like, Swider was actually pretty active. Uh, defensively, he didn't look all that bad. And then Brandon Slater, I, I think he might be good at the basketball, Eugene. I know we were, we were really down on him. But like he's, I said, that he's starting to look game, good. Man, that, was a, that was a turning point there, that Hartford game for him. Did you see the ball yeah. go through the hoop, and then he's starting to put everything together. Yeah, he is. He is. And, you know, he took a three, and I'm like, no, no, no. And then he made it, and it looked good. Like, it looked like a good shot. And I was like, you know what? All right, I can, I can calm down a little bit when he has the ball. I'm actually, I shouldn't be as worried. He also had three steals on top of that. And then Justin Moore, who had a pretty average game, I feel like, uh, from the field, uh, had some nice moves inside. From the perimeter, he really didn't do much, and his three-point shooting reflects that over three. But he was uh, able to distribute. He was actually the distributor in this game with seven points. So on the Villanova end, I really can't complain. I think that the, the defense was probably the most worrisome, but I think that was just the fact that they haven't played in a while, to be honest. But offensively, there was no rust, it felt like. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think that the rust was more so on the defensive end. Offensively, they were able to go shot for shot, and – for the most part, you look at their shooting percentages, and it was pretty good. I know they cooled off from deep in the second half, but as a team overall, they shot 48.1%, which is pretty good. Defensively, though, that was definitely where we saw some a little bit of a struggle, more so in the first half than in the second. But they were able to clean it up a little bit more, I felt, towards the end of the game. They weren't allowing Seton Hall to just get comfortable on three-point line. It also helped that Samuels was able to shut down Roden keep him quiet for the final 20 minutes of the game where he only had two points for me, just because of we think back to earlier in the season, this team looked pretty good offensively, defensively. That was a little bit of a problem. So when it came to Russ, I anticipated a little bit of a slowdown on the defensive end. Hopefully though, it won't take a Virginia tech loss or some sort of loss to, for them to just buckle down. I think they're going to hit a switch once again, just give it a couple of games because it had been 27 days. So, overall, I think this team will be fine. It's just good to see them back there. Hopefully, once again, can't stress it enough, no more COVID interruptions. So, this team can continue to grow, develop, and get back to where they were in December, but then also surpass that and keep on rolling and prepare for March. Yeah, that's what you got to hope for. And I think having two home games is a pretty big thing. The fact that they don't have to leave their comfort zone, really, after a COVID lockdown, I think is a pretty big deal. I, I think it, it's going to help in terms of trying to get their feet back under them and, you know, practicing and not having to worry about going anywhere and whatnot. I think, I think that's a huge help, at least initially. And uh, before they can really get on the road and start, you know, playing the Cretans of the conference. Yeah, exactly. No doubt about that. One last thing though, with Seton Hall, it's always just a tough game. Like, I don't know what it is. I guess it is like we said that they always do get up a little more, especially for the Cats. But another tough one, no doubt. Huge shout-outs to Jermaine Samuels coming back from COVID and having a big game, big game Jermaine in the house with just such a great all-around performance from rebounding and scoring and shooting and defending. He was awesome. And I know Jay Wright had mentioned that he said that he was going to take it easy on the guys coming back from COVID. So that's why you saw Daniels only play 12 minutes and didn't start. Samuels didn't start. But like you said, Chris, I think just because he was hot and he was playing well, they couldn't take him off. And they did the cardio test. They did the myocarditis screenings and both came up okay. So they had the clean bill of health. So I guess Jay just rolled with the hot hand, took the safety restraints off, and we got the product we saw. And he was a huge part of the win. 
for sure. And, you know, to Jay's credit, like, obviously, like, your, your first and foremost concern is, is these kids' health. You obviously don't want Jermaine going out there and just, you know, complaining that he's tired and, you know, not feeling great and, isn't, and he doesn't respond well to playing a lot. And you obviously have to balance that between that and winning a, a game. And obviously, they should take precedent. But if everything comes back okay, then I don't see any, any harm in, you know, kind of trotting him out there. And if he feels fine, he feels fine. And he felt he felt good. <laughs> he was feeling real good from the field. They were creating some shots for him, a lot of extra passes. Where the ball movement seemed to be pretty good. He was able to hit from deep, which is, you know, either hit or miss for him most of the time. But he was able to create inside too and was crashing the boards pretty well. So it just seemed like a very typical big game Jermaine performance. So it says 20 in the box score, but it felt like a lot more. Oh, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. First game back in 27 days. Had to show out for the people. <laughs> Announced that he's okay. Yeah, it was it was good. Good game all around. Well, just one other observation real quick. And I I don't – I'm not, like, you know, saying, like, it's a bad thing or whatnot. But it just seemed like every shot was short, at least the ones that they were missing, especially JREs. And, you know, your first your, – the first thing your mind goes to when, you shot, when a shot is short is, like, oh, they're tired. Or, oh, they don't have their legs back yet. And I, I think that might have had – I think that the lockdown might have had a little bit to do with that. At least the ones they were missing, it seemed like a lot of them were short. So hopefully they, they can turn that around. But, I mean, obviously the offense really wasn't that much of a deal to begin with. I'm just saying the ones they were missing, it just seemed like they were short. Not a lot of long shots, I guess. Yeah, it's possible. As Jay's mentioned before, his biggest concern was game speed. You can't really simulate that no matter how, how hard you try, whether it's – a intra-squad scrimmage, practice, whatever it may be. So maybe it was just a matter of readjusting to grinding out there for all 40 minutes, playing full of basketball. That's what we're here for. <laughs> of course. Next up for the Cats is a Saturday matinee, a little afternoon showdown, a lot earlier than Tuesday night. No need to stay up. But they'll be taking on the Providence Friars, who are coming off of a huge upset win. Chris, I was shocked last night. I couldn't believe it. I, going in, I would have thought, prepping for today, oh, Crane's definitely going to smoke them. I know the first one was a little close, but there's no way. Crane just came off of an upset loss of Butler. There's no way they lose twice. And they were in Omaha. But, no, those Providence Fries grinded out of a tough one. And now uh, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried because to see their resolve there, they pretty much led the show the whole time. And as we know, Providence, Villanova, it's never easy. Never easy. No, it isn't. But to be fair, if Providence had lost that game, we'd be saying, oh, they just lost four in a row. That means they're going to put on their best performance against Villanova. They're going to want to come out of their slump, all that stuff. But either way you look at it, we were going to we were gonna be scared. But, you know, they got, maybe they just got their good win out of the way, Eugene. You can think of it like that. Positive spin. Mm. Silver linings. And the other thing, too, is now you have Jay Wright looking at Dan. It's like, oh, no, there's no way we're going to be caught sleeping now. Not by this team. Because right. I probably would have been caught sleeping. Yeah, they had a four-game I... losing streak going into last night, so I would have thought, oh, okay, great. We're about to extend that for you. <laughs> right, exactly. It, and, you know, it says a lot about Creighton, too. They seem to be up and down so far this year. Yeah, they, they don't have an excuse. They didn't have a 27-day layoff. Yo, come on. Right, yeah, they've been playing pretty consistently. I don't think they've had any shutdowns. A lot of close games, though, they've played. They don't They don't seem to really be on the, the favorable end of them. No, no, unfortunately. But about this Providence team, 8-6 and six going in, 4-4 four and four in Big East play. Chris, 
who are some of the guys we should look out for? Who are the big dogs on campus? So yeah, when you're talking about this Providence team, it it pretty it starts and ends <laughs> with Duke, David Duke and Nate Watson. Both are averaging around 19 points a game. I mean, David Duke's your do-it-all guard. Get some boards, averaging about six a game. He dishes, averaging about five a game. And then Nate Watson, big boy inside. He always destroys Villanova. He's averaging about seven boards a game. And David Duke, though, if uh, if he is going to put up points, it's going to be from long range. He's shooting around 45% from beyond the arc this year. And, you know, his, his struggles were pretty well dark, documented early on in his career. Uh, Big East freshman, uh, preseason freshman of the year with, J- with Javon. And uh, he didn't really start so hot. Now he's really formed into a good player and probably everything that Providence expected him to be and probably even more. But then also Nate Watson inside, as I said, he's always a, a wreck in the Villanova games. And Jerry, after dealing with Mamu, who's a different player, but in, in terms of game style, but he's going to be a tough task. Yeah, this one-two punch of Duke Watson has me a little worried because these guys are playing the best basketball of their career so far. Duke especially, I mean, looking how far he's come since his freshman season, the hype coming in, not delivering right off the bat. Had you thinking, oh, is this another Javon Quinterly situation? He ends up sticking around, gets better each year, and now this year blowing up 19 points per game, leading – the team and assists can score from anywhere on the floor and he didn't have the greatest Creighton game but he showed up late down the stretch and he hit a huge step back banked it off the glass three to help Providence hold off that Creighton comeback towards the end there this guy's a gamer but Nate Watson has been a guy that I've been a huge fan of since he first came out as a freshman big man down low Very physical, eats glass, great scorer in the post, scoring about 62.9%, very efficient scorer, also averaging 19 points per game. It's going to be a tough one-two punch to handle, and A.J. Reeves can't sleep on that guy too. He isn't having the greatest season so far in terms of efficiency, but that man is still a nice third option for the Friars, averaging just under 10 points per game. Seems like losing Diallo kind of gave uh, Duke the opportunity to thrive offensively don't you think i'm not saying he was holding him back by any stretch of the imagination or was making the team worse but i guess obviously with him as the focal point he's kind of been able to do a lot more yeah after diallo graduated got his master's finished up his phd felt like he was there for (laughs) at least seven years at least yeah (laughs) but no that definitely i would say yeah for sure it had a part in it because now it's the duke show Oh, and Watson, too, but Duke has the ball in his hand, running the floor, this and that, do it all. Do it all, guy. Yeah, Batman and Robin, for sure. Yeah, and the rest of the supporting cast, nothing really pops out at you. Uh, Alan Breed did have a great game, freshman. He only averaged 2.4 points, but he was huge in that game against Creighton. He put up 15 points, had a nice game there where – Honestly, it was just a very clean game. He went four for five, didn't take too many shots, but he made it when he needed to, made his free throws, grabbed some boards, dished out some assists, only one turnover, just a clean overall game from him, freshman guard. Other than that, nothing really pops out at you. It's just more of like a by-committee type of deal. You know, it's it's your right. first two leading the way, A.J. Reeves when he's on, and then everybody else. For 
three point shooting wise, like the rest of the supporting cast doesn't really have like a knockdown shooter. It seems like, I mean, you can maybe attest to that a little bit better, but just looking at the numbers and after watching a little bit of that Creighton game, doesn't seem like there really is anybody that can knock down a couple of outside shots outside of Duke and breed. Yeah. There's going to be no secret snipers who come in and, they get hot, then all of a sudden you have a problem. They don't really have that resident sharpshooter that they can kind of pull off the bench and add that perimeter presence. Just a bunch of guys who play the Providence way, scrappy, physical, and do whatever Ed Cooley tells you to do. Right, exactly. And it's funny, too, because before for this game, they weren't really so hot on the analytics side on, on defense. They were hovering around like 90-something in the hundreds on the, uh, in terms of Kempom adjusted the, uh, defense which is seems low for a Providence team, especially for an Ed Cooley team. So I, I think I sh- this game should help them. I would think you hold Creighton to 70 points. I think that's a good day. They're nothing to scoff at for sure, but uh, it seems like they're a little weaker on the defensive side than those usual Providence teams we're, we're used to seeing. Yeah, from just looking at it from a numbers standpoint, yeah, just looking at it from a numbers standpoint, they've been allowing teams to – get pretty comfortable inside the arc, allowing them to shoot 51.6% inside, which is places them around the bottom 120 in the entire country. And then three-point-wise, last year they were holding teams to 31% from beyond the arc, which is a very good rate. This year, a tad higher going into Saturday. But just looking at the way that they handled Creighton and shut down all those shooters – they can they can come to play and and the thing with Providence is it seems like there's always a point in the season and usually it's late January or February where I don't know what happens it's just like they flip a switch Ed Cooley has them rolling and then before you know it they go into the Big East tournament time with like an eight game winning streak and it's like <laughs> whoa watch out this is a dangerous team right. this is not your typical six seed. I don't know if this means that they're going to start a little bit earlier this year. I mean, COVID times, everything's a little weird in terms of timetables and scheduling. So maybe they're reaching that point ahead of schedule. Hopefully not. But, Chris, what do you think is going to happen on Saturday? Who do you got, Nova or Providence? Is it Providence? Was it just a one-hit wonder last night? Or (laughs) is it the start of something dangerous? Well, I'm glad you reminded me. That, or at least you brought that point up about them getting hot at the end of the year because if, uh, it jogged my memory a little bit because if you remember last year, the game at Villanova, Providence won. Completely forgot about that. Where I think it was probably one of the worst games ever. It was like in the 50s <laughs> in terms of shooting. <laughs> it was I'm just very surprised. bad. That's yeah, usually it, how it goes. We just get into these like grind fests where neither team can buy a bucket and it's just all of a sudden, you know, who gets those saving graces at the end. Right, exactly. And, uh, yeah, Providence was able to muck it up. And I forget the guy who went off. His name escapes me right now. It was a guy we wouldn't expect, but he's gone now. So, uh, you know, after Villanova, after Villanova's game against Seton Hall, I feel confident enough in picking him. I, you know, momentum and all that stuff. But Providence, who knows? You know, it always seems like there is one Big East team that has, like, a really good week, and beating Creighton and Villanova back-to-back on the road would probably be the epitome of a really good week. But I think Villanova goes out there. They're able to muck it up with Providence, and I think they pull this one off. I think it's by single digits, so whatever the spread is or whatnot, be a little bit wary of that, I would say. I think this Providence team doesn't want – isn't going to allow for that to happen. But I think Villanova wins, and – 
It might not be the prettiest game, but at least a win. So I just remember the guy you were talking about. Didn't want to interrupt you because you were definitely cooking. But Lou Wayne Pipkins. I yes, think he was a grad I, transfer. Yeah, it was just like, mm-hmm. who are you? <laughs> Where did you come from? <laughs> right. Yeah, we. I remember not bashing him on that for that preview, but I remember saying like he's not a good three point shooter. Yeah, and then of course game. you know it's like the one game his entire career where he goes like five for six from deep, mm-hmm. and yeah, then gets right. every foul and you know makes every shot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ne- never a doubt. And when I was trying to think of his name, I was going to say, oh yeah, his name starts with an L and it was a weird first name, but so there it is. Yeah. No. It was. Uh, yeah. Wow, I almost forgot. I really forgot that game happened. <laughs> yeah, it was the it was the end of February, and then like COVID hit like two weeks later. It's not not that hard to forget. Yeah, and it was one of those, like you said, Chris. They muck it up, and then they, you know, anything anything goes at that point. So before last night, I was like, all right, you know, Sharpie Nova in, very comfortable. You know, Providence might make it a little close or tough, but I like the Cats. No way. You know, they, they can only get better from that first game back. And now I think it, it'll be a little close, maybe a little too close for comfort. Another close one, hopefully not, at, you know, not as taxing on your heart like Tuesday night. But I, I do like Villanova here. Single digits, maybe in like the seven to nine point range. Hopefully the Wildcats will grab control early and not let Providence ride to momentum because once they pounced all over Creighton, they just rode that until the end. You had the Blue Jays make a little bit of a rally, but not enough to overtake the Friars and Providence. So hopefully Villanova can see what happened last night, not let that happen, while also fine-tuning their play from Tuesday. And hopefully we'll see a much better overall product on Saturday. 2.30 p.m. tip-off, early afternoon. I don't think it conflicts with football, so we should be good. Yeah, hopefully all systems are go for Saturday. No hiccups, and we get this game underway and get one step closer to uh, game 13. Yep, yep, yep. What are we at now, 10? Yeah, 10. We're at 10 now, yeah. Three more, three more. I will say one thing. One last thing to add, it should be a pretty clean game. Both teams don't like turning over the ball at all. You have Nova, who has the best turnover rate in the country in terms of taking care and keeping the ball. And Providence, same thing too. Very clean team. They don't turn the ball over all that much. So it'll really come down to execution and standing tall on defense. So whoever wants to show up on that end, we'll see what happens. Chris? It's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and answer the questions that you, the listeners, have for us. As always, you can tweet us at SONNPod. Ask us anything, and we'll discuss it on the show. Chris, are you ready? Let's do it. First one is from John Paul May. His question is, thoughts on the starting five lineup? It's the youngest that I've seen in many, many years, and I thought it was great. It's certainly through Seton Hall game plan, a curveball for the first 10 minutes. Also, shout-out to the coaching staff for adjusting to Mamu, killing us from five feet beyond the arc. Chris, your thoughts on the starting five? It was a little younger. I mean, we did see yep. Slater and Swider out there. We saw the veteran guys, Daniels and Samuels, on the bench. Mm-hmm. But we saw CG, Slater, Moore, Swider, Robinson, Earl. I think, yeah, Gillespie was the only senior. Huh. 
Oh, yeah, look at that. And <laughs> oh, yeah, lots of sophomores <laughs> and a couple juniors. Yeah, thanks. Shout out to John for pointing that out. Did he, it never really occurred to me. And I guess that's a good thing, that these guys could just kind of be switched in and out and you don't really notice, uh, regardless of what their age is and what class they're in. I think uh, Justin Moore, even though he's a sophomore, is uh, pretty mature for his age in terms of uh, as a player. He's he's doing a great job. And seeing Swider and Slater out there, I think it was fine. I, I really had no issues with them this game. So it was it was kind of cool to see a, a young lineup. And to his point about seeing a young lineup, it's probably one of the youngest ones since probably our freshman year, Eugene, when they were trying out Arch and whatnot. But, yeah, it's uh, – it's it's good to see that they kind of, you know, you can just plug guys in there and it's like, a, you know, no big deal. Jermaine Samuels could come off the bench and not care and still drop 20. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's uh, it's good. It's good to see. And then Slater, I can't say enough about him after his past game. So I, I, th- I thought he did a pretty good job for starting all. Yeah, him and Swatter have really just been stepping it up each week. And I felt like that they both delivered. They both did their job. They both did their role on Tuesday night. And it was nice to see that young lineup. Not sure if Jay's going to stick with it moving forward or have some sort of variation. Maybe he keeps one of them in there, keeps another, stashes another guy for a six-man role. But whatever happens, it'll be interesting to see on Saturday. I did enjoy it, though. And I enjoyed the fact that Mamu was less of a problem. Same with Jared Roden from Beyond the Arc. The Roden adjustment seemed pretty pretty apparent like it seemed like they were specifically targeting him on the defensive side and I think the Mamu one was a lot more subtle and I think he got frustrated because of that oh he definitely yeah that guy definitely got frustrated and especially in the second half you saw it (laughs) it was was kind of funny (laughs) him and Um, and Kevin Willard both got frustrated oh yeah that's right we never we never brought up the the Willard technical foul that was another thing does anyone know what was said point of content I I have no idea dude I, I thought they were going to bring it up in the broadcast, and they were like they were showing him on the camera, but the announcers uh, weren't really going in depth with it because I think they just didn't know. Like I had, I don't think they knew. I don't think anybody knew. Uh, you just saw Gillespie at the foul line. You're like, all right, I guess he got. I guess he got the technical. And then of course there's Willard there, slouched back with his hands on his head, mask off. And... Seen all fans doxing the refs. <laughs> yeah, they definitely got their addresses. There's a hundred percent. There's no other way. But it was just like, like, what did he say? I don't know what. What was he angry about? What was he? He always complains. They, they're such complainers. That team, <laughs> complain and like a bunch of other words that I can't say on this show. <laughs> Next question is from Fred Rung. Has Slater started to earn a bit longer of a leash based on his offensive production so far? I can see him being a nice piece, and frankly, right now, more valuable than Swider. Interesting take. I think it's. I think some people – I have seen that take floating around just because some people prefer Slater's athleticism and his defensive ability and his lateral quickness. And not just that, you know, you put him in a lineup, he doesn't have to be the main scorer. There's no real pressure for him to drop points or rain threes. Like, Swider, your label is intergalactic sniper. You should be able to make threes. Meanwhile, Slater, you know, he can have CG take the lead there or – JRE or more, whoever has a hot hand. I will say that Slater definitely seems like I'm not sure if it's a longer of a leash, more so than it's actually him just growing more confident on that side. I think before he saw him be tentative, not too confident in his shot. His his stroke looked a little funny. Now you see it, like you mentioned, Chris, when he took that three, it looked like a pretty good shot, went in, and you're like, oh wow. 
and not just that, that Hartford game, it just seemed like a, a confidence booster for him. And we saw him start to take a few more shots rather than pass it on like we've seen him in the past. And I, I, honestly, I'm all for it. I mean, he, he, said, he looks like he's growing. He's making them. And I think he deserves that longer leash or whatever it is that he's getting. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, I think he deserves a longer leash. I don't know if I feel comfortable yet kind of giving him like 25 plus minutes a night yet. I, I still think in a limited bench role or, you know, if you want to throw him out there as a starter and then bring, you know, Daniels off the bench and have him play more minutes or whatever, however you want to work the rotation. I'm fine with that. I, I feel like with his offense developing to the point now where I don't feel like it's, you know, really ugly looking. I, I feel much more comfortable with him out there. Uh, and if he can, and he, like you said, he doesn't have to be the main scorer, so that's fine. I'm just worried about, you know, it's late in the shot clock. They got to create a shot. I don't want, you know, before I don't want him, I wouldn't want him hacking up a shot. But now it's like, yeah, if he, Slater's open in the corner. Yeah, give it to him. I don't care. But, you know, defensively, he's such a stud now, and especially, you know, creating steals and turnovers. I mean, he just had three this past game. So, you know, they kind of have that ability and they maybe like, not like 18 to 22 minute minute roll off the bench. I, that's good. And I think he deserves to play a little bit more because, you know, his offense is rounding out, but also because of his strengths. So that maybe a lot of players on this team don't really have. I'm, I'm cool with it. Yeah. It's coming to the point where opposing teams aren't giving him the Ben Simmons defense where if, <laughs> you know, they're going <laughs> to sag off like 50 feet and say, all right, shoot it, do something. Right, and now that they actually might have to target him and actually play defense on him, that might open shots up elsewhere too. So. Exactly, exactly. Everything so. is great. Even on Swider's end, ever since we saw him take and make those big shots in the Texas game, I, I felt like mm-hmm. he's been starting to believe in himself a little bit more too, and we're seeing the threes fall at a, a little bit of a higher rate or a little more of a consistent rate. Yeah, I agree with you there too. And I feel comfortable with him shooting now. Like him and Slater last year, they took a shot. It was cringe. <laughs> And, and pray, cringe and pray. Now it's like, yeah, oh yeah, please go ahead. Next question is from Simone. Why didn't we cover? Chris, you're you're the big you're the big gambler. I mean, it's illegal uh, in New Jersey. It's not legal yet in New York. So I've been <laughs> uh, I've been just kind of watching and admiring everybody talk about their escapades on Twitter from afar. But why didn't we cover, Chris? That's a good question, Eugene. Uh, it's it's funny that this question is brought up because I actually learned on Tuesday that you cannot bet on New Jersey college sports teams the game was not offered on the at least on DraftKings anyway in new jersey the game wow. was not wait so you, can you bet on new jersey like could you bet on new jersey based teams like new york jets or like the devils uh, and all that yeah yeah, devils, yeah. yeah. So you can do professional oh, you but you can't, can't do college. college and i think i knew that was a rule because i knew unlv wasn't like listed at the las vegas sports books when you know since that was like the big thing that was pretty much the only way you can gamble legally out there but yeah it was uh it wasn't offered and I was like oh wow that's a shock and like I know I've taken Villanova before so I, I guess Seton Hall was the ultimate determinant in that and good thing I didn't see it because I definitely would have taken Villanova minus nine <laughs> regardless <laughs> and they uh, obviously uh, did not cover that they were up nine though late it was looking it it, it wasn't was, looking it good was the looking entire game nice. yeah and then it finally started to look good toward the end. And then, of course, no, they, they blew it. Why, but to your question, why didn't you cover? Uh, Shavar Reynolds had a very nice end to the game. That's why. 
he uh, he made life miserable for Villanova defensively and also Mamu as well. It can be understated. And then offensively, they went cold. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's your various reasons why you couldn't they couldn't cover. Yeah, no made shots on the field for the last three and a half minutes. Not fun. Not fun. But they hung out on one. So honestly, that's all that matters. Hopefully, Simone didn't have anything on betting wise on on that game. I, I hope not. I mean, if you took the over-under and you took the over, it hit. So that's nice. The over-under was listed at 140. Seems pretty pretty low. But I know both teams are pretty low-paced, so I guess that kind of makes sense. But still hit by 10 on that. So as long as you didn't take Nova minus 9 or anything else crazy, you're all right. I find it wild, though, that you can't bet on in-state college teams. I remember – yeah. When I started dabbling in FanDuel or like daily fantasy sports for the first time senior year, Chris, and and then I was like, oh, look at this, Chris. Look, there's a college basketball tab. Whoa, I can draft Ryan Archie Diacono. This is when I knew that NCAA <laughs> had a problem. I can literally make money off of Ryan Archie Diacono, but I can't, you know, obviously he can't make money off of anything because he's a college athlete. No. Yeah, love the double standards there. Yeah, I was literally sitting there and I was like, how is this legal? And then they literally had every single college player in the database. Like, if I wanted to, I could have drafted a bench mob guy. <laughs> Cost you like $1 or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, it, I, I think, Eugene, honestly, I remember you showing me that. And I was like, that's, I think that's when I started to turn my uh, thoughts around on that whole thing. <laughs> that was like one of the eye-opening things. I'm like, oh, that's a little weird. And then the thing was, was I think le- the year after it got banned, but then it came back either a year or two ago. So I don't know what happened there. I don't know what the NCAA did to allow this. Yeah, they they probably took it away just as a reaction thing, and then they sat back and like, oh, we can make money off this? I don't know. <laughs> Have it back, guys. The only thing NCAA loves more than crushing amateur athletes' hearts and minds is making money. But that's a that's a chat we could have a, another time. Yeah, we yeah, could literally, yeah. literally have that chat that's all day. A, we could have an episode dedicated to the double standards. We could. We could. Or error grievances and whatnot. We'll even yeah. get some former college athletes on here to talk about it. I'm sure they have plenty to say. We'll get oh, Shabazz man. Napier talking about bagels. We'll, we'll get everything <laughs> on there. Yeah, I feel like uh, anyone would get, they'd probably be all in the same mindset i i would be part i would probably be hard pressed to find one that would be like yeah no everything was perfectly fine <laughs> education was all i needed right next set of questions from jerry quinn our guy first one are you pleased with the performance against eaton hall kind of like a mixed bag overall but yeah. at the end of the day first game back from a 27 day layoff i was ready for there to be some mistakes and Overall, as a team, I was pleased with how they performed offensively. Defensively, there were some hiccups. There were a lot of really good individual performances. Obviously, Colin and Jermaine stick out. And then the Swider-Slater tandem, they were pretty solid, too. I thought they stepped up. And JRE didn't have one of his greatest games out there. But overall, I didn't, I didn't really want to ride them too much just because there was such a long break. So I'll say, overall, I was pleased. But I do know that there is definitely room for improvement, and I hope to see some of that on Saturday. Stole the words right out of my mouth, Eugene. It's I pretty much echo the same sentiments. Happy, pretty happy with the offense. Not so happy with the defense. Individually, you got Colin and Jermaine doing well. Jerry had a down game, and the uh, junior combo, Swider and Slater, I'm pretty happy with. Yeah, just based on the way that they looked against Marquette, I, that was probably the best they looked all year, and. Hopefully they can climb back to that and then keep on climbing up once they reach that point again. 
Second question from Jerry is, if we get big game Jermaine to show up more consistently, can we win out the rest of the regular season? And how far can we go in the Big East tournament? Chris, your thoughts? Well, I've been begging for a consistent big game Jermaine for performances for the past couple of years, and I don't think it's happening. Um, at least the 20-point performances. If we can get, you know, in the double digits around, you know, 12, 15 a night, that would be really great. But I, I just don't see it, like, big performances like this happening night in, night out. But if we do get it to show up, maybe every two to three games instead of every four to five, yeah, they can win out. I mean, if you're getting an extra 20 points a night from Jermaine Samuels where he really wasn't that much of a focal point on the offense to start the year, yeah, I don't really see this team losing at all if, like really they considering the competition. Um, and then in the Big East tournament, it would probably bring them to the finals. And then depending on who their finals opponents will be, uh, we'll see how that goes. I mean, it's still, I still think it's way too early to kind of predict that. Uh, I mean, we see Creighton still don't, Creighton still doesn't know who they are. And, you know, maybe seeing all might actually be the biggest contender to them now. So who knows? But I, I if Jermaine, I would love to see Jermaine keep this up, but I mean, we say that after every time and I'm trying not to, you know, not trying not to believe the hype, not the hype, but you know what I mean. Just, just trying not to get ahead of myself and and make sure uh, I, I don't get disappointed when big game Jermaine goes away for a few games. Well, maybe this might be like that Marquette game a couple of years ago where he had that and then all of a sudden it was a new man after that. Who knows? Who knows? He was. You're right. I know. There's just – I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit more options – on this team. Like I could like JRE had a, a down game. So like, I don't think Jerry's going to have a bigger, da- like another big down game like that. So like maybe he steps up and then that's going to take away from Jermaine's shots. I feel like, so we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can see that. I can see that overall. I, I think even if we do have big game Jermaine, I, I hate to say it. I, I still just think it's so difficult to go undefeated in conference play. And there were some tough tests. There were a little bit of scares, but overall Villanova still undefeated. They're gonna. There's gonna be that point where they're gonna have to make up a lot of games. So I don't know how much the quick turnarounds are gonna affect things, but I'm still sticking to it. I I do think that they shouldn't lose more than two games in Big East play, but it'll all be random losses, unexpected, out of the blue. Hopefully yeah. not against DePaul, but it, it just seems to be <laughs> that there's always that one team that goes off, or shoots uncharacteristically, or catches Nova sleeping on a Tuesday night, 9 p.m. tip off, or Wednesday, 9 p.m. tip-off. I know Ken Palm right now. If you look at Ken Palm, he's got Nova going all the way undefeated. So we'll see. I mean, that guy's that guy's a numbers guru. But right now, yeah. I just I can't see it. Yeah, I but mean, Big East tournament-wise, Villanova is going right to the finals, and I, I still think that they win. Yeah. Unless Creighton figures their stuff out, I have no idea who's going to beat them in the tournament. Yeah, but if big game Jermaine comes back, remember when he had a great postseason also a couple <laughs> years ago? Yes. Hopefully yeah, it'll be the same thing. No, no one will beat him if that's the case. Yeah. And then third question from Jerry Quinn. Were you surprised by the range of – I'm guessing he was trying to go for Sandro. It looks like Autocorrect had the best of him. It says Sander, but I, I – Chris, you pointed out, I think you're right. I think he was going for Sandro Mamakillas. Really, he hit some big-time shots. Uh, I, I'll say overall, like I said when we were previewing, 
And people were talking about, oh, he was going to make an All-American lead this year. And, of course, you know, I thought it was just hype. Not, not much substance behind it. But seeing him this year and seeing the way he, he leaned out a little bit and has improved his game all around, yeah. I, I can't say I was shocked just because I'd seen it earlier. But when I first saw it this season, I was like, oh, yeah, this guy, this guy can now play. This guy's not messing around anymore. No, not at all. He had a great game. He's a good player. I, I know we give him – Seton Hall a lot of crap, and especially him specifically, but because mainly because of the fan hype around them. But he's he's very good. I, I wouldn't say I was surprised by the range of him. He's he's hit some big time threes against Villanova, especially in that game last year at Villanova. He was oh, he was yeah. knocking them down from the yeah. when Miles Powell was in foul trouble, and we thought that would mean all you can eat buffet for everybody. But then <laughs> Sandro cut everybody in line and said, "Not so fast." <laughs> Took their lunch money while they're at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that was tough. <laughs> yeah, it was that was bad, but so he's he's good. He's gonna be he's gonna be a thorn in Villanova's side for at least one or two more games, depending on if they meet in the Big East tournament. So yeah, and we got that rematch at the end of this month too. So you already know. He like I yeah, said, he's, right. it's like Rocky training. He's got the mm-hmm. picture of Colin Gillespie on his bedroom mirror, just crumpled it. Now he's going to go wrestle a bear and a fox. <laughs> and it'll all be okay. Then he'll drop 30 instead of the 18, 20 he drops <laughs> usually. <laughs> and and he will make sure to not drop the ball this time. No, no. He's going to – they're going to do a, like those manhand drills in, in football practice. <laughs> make sure he could catch the ball. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. You can do so on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Megaphone. You got many, many options. Please check back, check off, and at viewhoops.com. We're always pumping out content between our NBA Wildcat watches, daily arisens, to recaps, previews, analysis pieces. We got it all. We got it all. Even the occasional feature. Check back, check off, and follow VU Hoops on social media at VU Hoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. I'm Chris Danziel. I got nothing. Stay safe, everybody. Nova Nation, have a great Thursday. Enjoy your weekend. Get pumped for Saturday. Let's get this win, and hopefully we'll have some more good news to talk about on Tuesday. Take care and have a good one.